0: So you've you've heard of the passion of Christ. Have you heard of the contradictions of Christ? I haven't made a movie of that yet, but there are certainly some certain scholars and critics that would like to. Do you believe that there are contradictions in the story of Christ? You know, I don't think there are. I really don't think there are. And one of the things I would point out is that We have four books in the Bible, right? You know, the four books the Bible starts out with that talks about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when they put those together, they canonized them. In other words, they recognized them as supernatural works, not because they contradicted each other. They didn't say, well, let's put these together because they're all contradictive, and that'll help us to kind of work through these things. And they didn't do that. They put them together because they complemented and authenticated each other. So why do we have problems 2,000 years later with what they didn't have any problems with? Well, I think sometimes it's the way we read the Bible. You know, we read it like they're biographies about Jesus, but they're not biographies. They're Actually, what they are is they're collected teachings of Jesus that have some biographical details. And if we try to force them into chronological order, and we say this is out of order. Well, it doesn't matter to them. They're just telling the teachings and they can put them in any order they want. Their purpose is not to put a chronological record like we sometimes like uh, in our Western culture. And, and then the other thing is they give a synopsis. So like if Jesus gives an hour-long sermon, you're not going to write the whole thing, in, that'd be almost a whole book, right? So you just give portions of it, and people... The different writers come in and they give different things that God tells them that they want to point out, different things that fit the theme of their book and different things that are really important for us to remember. The same thing with different events. They don't tell what happened the whole day long, you know, or or people are talking to each other. They don't go back and forth and he said this and she said this and they give you a synopsis. But you know what we can do is we can weave these together. We can harmonize them. We can put it together and, and we have very little differences on this. And when we put them together in our Western fashion, in chronological order, and we harmonize them, it gets pretty cool. And we get a picture, historically, of what really happened. And for those of you that are just joining us today, we've actually been doing this for a while. We actually started back in Christmas, and we talked about what really happened in Christmas. We talked about what really happened for Palm Sunday. We talked about what really happened for Good Friday. And today we're going to talk about what really happened for Resurrection Sunday. So we're going to put it in order, and and because we're doing that, I'm going to have some quotes, but I'm not going to have references because I'm kind of dovetailing some of these together. So you can check it out, though, on your own. And I encourage you to go home today and read the last chapters of uh, of the gospel accounts, so that you can make sure that I'm being accurate here and I'm not just pulling your leg. All right? And then the other thing is read Daniel chapter 10 for next week because next week we're going to return to our series on Daniel, um, the future belongs to God. But today we're talking about what really happened on Resurrection Sunday. So we're going to start with that, and and right away we start with one problem that we have to address, that we've been addressing over and over again. And you've got to understand this if you're going to understand these guys. You've got to understand that they were in a different place than we are. They were, you know, ancient Jewish people counted their days different. Did you know that? You know, we go from sunrise to sunrise, that's a day. They went from sunset to sunset. Therefore, Resurrection Sunday began on Saturday for us. It actually began at sunset on Saturday. And that presented a problem because it was common for women in those days when somebody had died to take spices, you know, perfume and things to the grave. And when they did that, uh, they could kind of, you know, stop the stench of death a little bit and make it more comfortable to come and pay your respects. But they had a problem because Saturday would have been their Shabbat, their Sabbath. And it was a very legalistic society. You couldn't even go to a grave on Saturday. You weren't allowed to. So, you know, what do you what do? You, do? you, you got to wait until sunset. But then at sunset, it's too dark. We believe that they were probably staying, most of them in Bethany, Which was up on the Mount of Olives, and they had a steep walk to go through, and it was about a half hour trip. So they couldn't do it at night. So they probably bought their spices, and then they had to wait. And they waited until it was still dark out, but the sun was beginning to peak, and they decided to make their trip. So the ladies began coming down the hill. Now, Jesus had a large entourage of ladies. And that was really uncommon. You know, no, no other Jewish rabbis did that. To our knowledge, I don't know if any other religion did this. But Jesus had all these women around him that would, would come along with the man. He had an entourage of people. But we're not for sure how many women came on this occasion. We know there, there probably were not too many because they were saying, who's going to move this stone? So there weren't a lot of them or they would be able to move the stone. Of course, some of them may have been older too and would have difficulty moving the stone. We know for sure of a few of them that we know for sure were there. One was Mary Magdalene. By the way, Mary or Miriam was a very common name. We've talked about that. Not a name that you necessarily wanna be proud of, ladies. It actually means obstinate. It was a very common name for young girls in those days. Uh, I don't know why, but they they used to call them that when they were young, obstinate. So Miriam, Miriam is the name, or Mary. And Mary Magdalene is pretty famous. Mary Magdalene means Mary from Magdala. A little over a month or so ago, um, my wife Carrie and I, we actually visited Magdala. It's this cute, quaint little village on the beautiful Sea of Galilee. And they're doing all sorts of excavations there. If you were... If, you were named, if your name was right next to your town, like Jesus of Na, the Nazarene, that meant that you were a really important person in that town. It's like saying Ron of Oakdale. <laughs> <laughs> so you were an important person in that town. That's what it means. And so why was she so important? We don't have all the details, but Luke tells us um, that she was actually, um, that Jesus actually cast seven demons out of her. So she really was a piece of work at one time. Uh, She had some problems. We don't know all the details, but there was this incredible change in her life. And the fact that her name is almost always listed first among the ladies agrees with the traditional history that she probably was the leader among them. The fact that she's not listed as being married or having children suggests that she was probably younger than the others. And we'll see also she seemed to have a little bit more energy than the others. Um, So we have Mary Magdalene, and we almost always have right after her, we have listed Salome. Salome, not Salami, Salome was um, the wife of Zebedee. So she was the mother of two of the disciples, James and John, and she was the sister of another Mary, Jesus' mother, which means she was Jesus' aunt. That's what is probably true. And then there was Mary, the wife of Clopas, And then there was Joanna, who was uh, related to the household of uh, Herod Antipas. And those are the ladies we know for sure were there. We don't know about the others. And they're walking down this steep hill. In fact, Salome actually seems to have had a home with her husband, probably a small home that they kept in Jerusalem. So they probably were going to go pick her up on the way. And as they're going, there's an earthquake. And you know it, it just... It probably shook their feet, and it was a big deal. It was a a pretty big earthquake. And scholars, conservative scholars, have argued over what caused that earthquake. Was it the angel removing the stone from the tomb? Or was it just a natural phenomenon triggered supernaturally by God? Or most likely, it was Jesus rising from the dead. And so there's this earthquake. And then we go back and we say, well, what was going on at the tomb at that time? Well, right after the earthquake an angel comes down. And the angel looks like lightning. He's white as light. And he takes this stone, this big stone that the women were saying, how are we going to move this stone? And he just sort of effortlessly tosses it aside. And he goes and he sits on it. He has just broken the law. They had a Roman seal on that. And if you broke the Roman seal, it was punishable by death. But the soldiers were not going to mess with this dude. They had seen enough at this time. You know, understand that these are probably some of the same soldiers, probably all of these guys, they were probably there when Jesus had his miraculous death a couple days before. They had heard their commander say, This guy was innocent. He must be the Son of God. And now they saw this, and they don't know what to do with it. These were hardened, seasoned warriors. Uh, They were probably Romans, but they probably had, they possibly had some of the temple guard from the Jews with them also. And if they were, the Romans, the way they would work, they would have like 50 men in charge of this, but four of them would rotate in and out. And so they had four on, four off. So these are fresh, ready for battle guys. And they saw this and it was like, oh boy, this is too big of a deal. And they started actually trembling and they left. Well, the ladies are coming, and this is what I was saying about Mary. She moves ahead. We see a little bit more youthfulness and energy here because she leaves the other ones, it appears, and she gets there before they do. And when she gets there, there's no angel. All she sees is the, you know, the rock rolled away, the stone rolled away, and she looks in the tomb and she sees nothing. There's no body. And, and this is the biggest problem that we have trying to correlate all these things at Easter is those, those angels, they are mysterious beings, and all throughout the Bible, they come and go. Sometimes it seems like they're moving from into a matrix or another spiritual dimension, and they're here, and they're gone, and then they're here, and then they're gone. And, and we don't know where they're at half the time. And on this occasion, she gets there, and there are no angels. And God, of course, has this all planned. And because there are no angels, she decides she has to go talk to Jesus' two main leaders, Peter and John, who appear to be staying at the home of Zebedee with Mary, <laughs> Jesus' grieving mother. And so she heads off running to tell them. And while she's running to them, the other ladies arrive. And they don't see any angel on the stone either. But they look in and they see two angels. Actually, uh, Matthew and Mark say that there's just one angel, but Luke says there's two, but only one talks. No contradiction, it's just one is the talker. And we don't know who the angels are, it doesn't tell us but every major message communicated by an angel in the New Testament and much of the Old Testament is by Gabriel. So it's very likely Gabriel. There you go, Gabe. You've got a Gabriel in here. And so um, God's hero. That's what it means. And so Gabriel is the one. And then Michael. Maybe we have some Michaels too. Um, Michael, the archangel, may be the other angel that's with him. And they begin communicating to the ladies. And, of course, the women are, you know, they really freaked out and he said don't don't be afraid calm down and they have this interaction so again we have a synopsis we don't know exactly what was said because it went back and forth and back and forth probably a little bit but this is the gist of the message that they told them they said why do you look for the living among the dead you're looking for jesus the nazarene who is risen he's not here see the place where they laid him but he is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Now, sometimes you get the impression that these ladies are just really excited and they run out of the tomb and they're exuberant and they're running and they're going to go save the world. But that's not true. The biblical account tells us that they were overwhelmed and bewildered and didn't say anything to anyone. They were in stunned silence. And they just walked away like, what did we just experience? And while they're walking away, Mary is pounding frantically at the door of the home where Peter and John are. And they're probably reluctant to answer it at first because they don't know if somebody's coming to get them. And finally, they answer the door, and they see her, and I'm sure she's hysterical, and she's crying, and she's so upset. And they calm her down. They say, what's going on? She says, they've they've taken his body. The tomb is empty. They've taken his body. I don't know where they've laid it. And so immediately, Peter and John start running, and they run towards the grave. Now, John traditionally was a smaller man and apparently a swifter man than the larger and more lumbersome Peter, and so he runs faster than him, and he gets there first. But as he gets to the tomb, something sort of holds him back, and he just stares. And Peter, of course, he comes in and he just bursts in and he runs on in, and then John follows him, and John gives a record of this, and he says, they look at what they, they see is that they have the the covering, the head covering for Jesus is all folded neatly on one side, and his clothes, his grave clothes, are just laid out. And that's, you know, means something to us initially, and obviously the body is gone. But when you stop and think that on Good Friday, Nicodemus brought They had a shroud that Joseph of Arimathea put on Jesus, but Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of myrrh and alloy spices, to put on Jesus' body. Do you understand what happens when you take a shroud and you try to take it off of somebody when it has that many spices on it? You would rip it to shreds. It would be impossible to take off a shroud without ripping it to shreds. And here it was, laid neatly, right where he had been as if his body had disintegrated and it just collapsed. And John says he looked and he believed. He doesn't say that Peter believed, but he may have. One thing he says right after he says, I believed, is he said, but we just didn't understand. So there's still a lot of confusion going on here, but they're thinking, maybe this did happen, but what happened? I mean, can you imagine... I mean, we're looking back. We've been told, some of us from the time we are little children, we've been told this story. But they'd never been told this story. They were experiencing the story. It was real time. And so they were, they were just stunned. And again, probably stunned in the silence and just walked away trying to figure it all out. Now Mary appears to have followed them. And after they left, she went back to the garden and she was weeping. And she decided to look in the tomb one more time. And she looks in the tomb and... There's two angels in there and one is sitting where Jesus's head was and one is sitting where his feet were. And she says, where have they laid him? And they, and they said, he's, he's risen. And then she hears somebody behind her and she turns around and she sees Jesus, but she wasn't expecting to see Jesus. I mean, she is very emotional right now and her eyes are flooded with tears and she doesn't know who this guy is and she assumes he's the gardener because it's a garden tomb and she says, where have you laid his body? And Jesus looks at her and I'm sure he looked at her with a smile and he said, Miriam or Mary. She recognizes his voice and oftentimes people don't recognize Jesus at first because he's in a glorified form having gone to heaven back. He says, Miriam, and she says in the the Aramaic language that they spoke, she says, Rabboni, or teacher. And she falls to the ground and hugs his feet. And Jesus chuckles. And he says, you can't keep holding me. He says, I'm going to my God and your God. I'm going to my father and your father. And he disappears. And Mary goes and tells the others, I have seen the Lord. And shortly after that, The other ladies are walking, and Jesus appears to them, and he says, greetings. And they're just freaked out, and they fall, and they grab onto his feet. And Jesus says, "Um, it's okay. I'm here. Everything's going to be okay. Go tell the others to go to Galilee, and I'll meet you there. And he disappears. Later on that day, there are two men. They are not his formal disciples, not part of the 11 disciples, but they're followers of his. They're disciples of his, nevertheless. And they are traveling to Emmaus, a little village about seven miles out of town. And as they're traveling, they're talking about these events. And who shows up on the road but Jesus walking with them? Now, I think it's supernatural at this point because usually people do recognize Jesus after a little bit. But this time, they don't don't recognize him. They just know this guy is walking along and they kind of look over to him. And Jesus says, What are you talking about? And once again, there's two guys, but one guy does all the talking. Kind of like in in my marriage. My wife's always the one doing the talking. Why are you laughing? Um, So I tend to be known for talking. um, But uh, so anyway, uh, I'm still, that's what I'm recovering from. Um, But not today. Today I I need to do that for for a living. Um, So. So, you know, he's, he's, they're talking, and the one guy, Clopas, is the talker. So Clopas says, what do you mean? You know, you, are you the only person that's visited Jerusalem this week that doesn't know about all the things that have happened? Jesus says, what's happened? What's happened? He says, well, well we thought this guy was the Messiah, and, and he did all these wonderful things. He was healing people and teaching, and then they, they, they killed him. And now these ladies say that he's risen from the dead, and we don't know what to think. And Jesus said, you're being so foolish. Don't you, don't you know the Bible? Don't you know the law and the prophets? And he takes them back and begins to explain it to them in ways that are just profound. And they're so caught up in what he's saying that they forget about how close they are to Emmaus. And as they get to the little village, they say, hey, we're going in. Do you want to come over for dinner? So Jesus says, sure, I'll stay. And they go down, and as they go down to eat, Jesus breaks the bread, and suddenly they recognize him, and he disappears just like that. And they say to each other, our, wasn't our, our, our breast burning, you know, inside. We felt like something was going on. We just didn't realize it. Now we know it was Jesus. So they run all the way back to Jerusalem, and they find the others. And it appears that at least the 10 of the 11 disciples are there. Thomas is the only one mi- missing. And it sounds like there were other people there as well. And they come in, and they, they before they can even tell their story, they're told, did you know that Jesus just appeared to Peter? And they said, well, no, but, but he just appeared to us. And they begin talking these matters over. And so as they're talking these matters over, there's something else that we need to talk about ourselves, and that is another event has taken place. While all this is happening, the Roman soldiers go to the Jewish religious leaders and tell them what happened. And the Jewish religious leaders have the opportunity now to admit that they've made a mistake and that something supernatural has happened. But their hearts are so hard. You know how we can sometimes get, I suppose, all of us, we don't want to be wrong that even when somebody tells us something that's obvious, we just say, no, I don't believe it. Because we just are holding on so tightly to what we want to believe. And they would gotten so stuck in their position that they actually turned around and they bribed the soldiers. They bribed the soldiers. They said, if anybody asks you what happened, Tell them you fell asleep and the disciples stole the body while you were sleeping. Well, that was preposterous. Can you imagine these are fresh soldiers that are, are trading off their position all the time? These are guys that are hardened and trained for battle. These are guys that, you know, don't fall asleep. And how in the world could these lightly armed soldiers, Disciples have the courage to try to sneak in there, move the stone without waking anybody up, and take the body out and getting away with it. It's just unbelievable. Furthermore, there was another problem. Because if a soldier in those days was found sleeping on the job, they didn't find them. They executed them. So you had an extra incentive not to fall asleep, especially all four of them at the same time. And knowing this, they basically turn and to say to the Jewish religious leaders, if the governor, Pontius Pilate, finds us out, we're all going to lose our necks. What are you going to do about that? They said, don't worry about it. If it comes to his ears, we've got money to bribe him too. And so Matthew actually records this almost like, is that all you got? <laughs> but that's what they were saying. At the same time, even though it was ridiculous... It was scary for the disciples because they had leverage now to go and arrest the disciples and do the same thing to them that they'd done to Jesus. And so they're scared and they're hiding. They're hiding behind these locked doors. And as they're hiding behind these locked doors in the evening, Jesus walks in. Just out of nowhere, there he is. And he says, peace be with you. And he has them feel see his hands and his his side, and they're they're overwhelmed with joy and, and they're just so glad to see him. And later on in the course of that evening, he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And he breathed on them and told them to receive the Holy Spirit. And it kind of reminds me of C. S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. Some of you kids read Chronicles. You guys ever read, you guys, yeah, I see a couple of you, Layla and, and uh, Caitlin and, and Mitch, Mitchell has read that in the back there and he'll be up here singing again later, but he read it. It's a great book. I read it a couple times. But one of the neat things in that is Aslan, the mythical lion, um, who symbolizes Jesus, he breathes on the children. And when he breathes on the children, it is, um, it is warm and it is soft and the scent is sweet. And I sense that that's kind of what happened with Jesus. And it just sort of overwhelmed them, and they felt the peace of God. And he had now given them the power to do what he had called them to do. And that actually concludes the account of Resurrection Sunday. That's what happened that day. What what do we do with that? What, what, What is our takeaway? I think if you're not yet in a relationship with Jesus, your takeaway is to listen to what the angel said. Um, It's interesting. They said that Jesus was not a mere man. You will not find him here among the broken humanity of this church. When you look back in retrospect, you can see that his predictions were all proven true. He was handed over to sinful men and he was crucified and he rose again on the third day. And if you do not yet know him, then as Kurt was talking about earlier, it's a time to admit that you are a sinner, that you need the Savior Jesus. Believe that Jesus really was God and that he died on the cross for you and rose from the grave and that you choose to follow him and as your Lord and Savior, follow him for the rest of your life and give your life to him, surrender your life to him. And if you haven't done that, I encourage you to come and talk to us today. We can help you along in that process because it, it is the most important decision you can ever make. And what better day to do it than Resurrection Sunday? If you are personally in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you ought to get excited about it. I mean, this is the kind of thing you, can, you should not be able to stop talking about. You should tell other people about it. You do it politely, you do it sensitively, but, but you're vocal about it. You're bold about it. Uh, And I encourage you to do that today and this week and for this to inspire you even over the course of this next year um, to be more vocal and more bold about your faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, You know, you don't have to see him with your eyes. You don't always have to feel him because you can experience his presence in your life. And some of you may even sense that for the first time today. And others know know what I'm talking about. When you experience the presence, the peace, and the power of God in your lives in ways that are just almost impossible to understand. And that happens when we seek after him. When we're spending time praying, when we're spending time reading our Bibles, when we're getting to know him better. And so I encourage you to seek him today and all the more as we celebrate this day. And as you go away today to be celebrating him. Not just celebrating a fun time together, but making sure that in your heart your celebration is about the one who came and saved you. Now the story doesn't actually end here in terms of Jesus' appearances. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 7 that he appeared to, Jesus actually appeared to his own brother, James. And James, later known as James the brother of our Lord, would go on to be the leader of the first church in Jerusalem. And then the next week He appeared to all 11 disciples, and this time Thomas was with them. Remember, Thomas was always doubting, so they called him Doubting doubting Thomas. So Jesus said, put your your finger here in my hand. Put your fingers here in my side. And Thomas rightly proclaimed, my Lord and my God. After that, Jesus um, went to Galilee. They all went to Galilee, and he actually went to Galilee. He found seven of them fishing. One of them was Peter, and he reinstated him as his leader. And then he got together and he started training people for 40 days. Did you know this? For 40 days after his resurrection, he trained people in Galilee. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, at one point there were 500 people gathered together. And that's very likely at the same place where he taught the Sermon of the Mount. We were there. It's beautiful in Capernaum overlooking the majestic blue Sea of Galilee up in the green hills. Jesus was teaching in the springtime. He was teaching his disciples and preparing them for the ministry that they had before them. And then he appeared again to them when they had returned to Jerusalem. And it was there in Jerusalem that Jesus ascended to heaven for the last time. And they saw him, they were on the Mount of Olives and he descended or he ascended. I keep saying, I said descended, right? He ascended, and he went up to heaven um, to be with the Father. And as he departed, there were two angels again that were with him. And the angels told them, they promised them, that in this same place, and in the same way, he would return someday. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this story. A story that's so historical. Um, and so irrefutable Uh, there's nothing to say but uh, to recognize that these events took place and that you indeed rose from the grave and are our savior and lord and i pray that each person here would recognize that even before they leave this day thank you so much for all you've done for us and for the opportunity to celebrate you as our savior in jesus name we pray amen